This is the Oanda Podcast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today we're joined by Craig Earlham in London. Good morning, Craig. How are you doing? Very good, mate. How are you? Very good. I suppose the big headline so far today, and it's going to be a very busy day in the next couple of days, is the latest inflation numbers from the UK, the cost of living surging by 5.1% in the 12 months to November. That's up from 4.2% last month, and that is the highest level since September 2011. The Office for National Statistics says most of the rises are down to rising transport and uh, energy costs. And of course, the number is above forecasts as well. So how have markets reacted to that? I suppose ahead of uh, tomorrow's Bank of England interest rate announcement, um, it may have some influence on that, or maybe not. It could have an influence on it. I think what we've uh, well, what we've seen ultimately is inflation is continuing to rise. It is becoming a little bit more broad based, but still within the pockets of the economy that um, are kind of expected. Things like say like higher energy costs, um, um, things like second hand cars, where we've seen a surge in demand because of the chip shortage leading to uh, longer delivery times on new cars. So the same areas of the economy that we expect and we've been seeing um, materialise over the last few months. That doesn't obviously alleviate the problem, but it does add further hope that as supply chain issues start to unwind, that uh, that these price pressures can return to a, a more normal level quite naturally over the course of the next 12 months. But the fact that it is becoming a little bit more broad-based, things like clothing, etc., uh, does um, maybe uh, worry some policymakers, I would imagine, and probably will accelerate the pace of tightening um, over the course of the next uh, 12 months. Whether that comes too soon for this meeting is another question altogether. Like I said, the inflation number was higher than markets were expecting, and I think that's been reflected today in the markets in that we've seen the pound up by around two-tenths of 1% against the dollar. But importantly, what we're seeing is rate height expectations for this meeting tomorrow have uh, ramped up a little bit as well. Rate hike expectations ahead of tomorrow's meeting has risen, uh, but it's still um, not likely to happen. Should we say? I'd say that I'd say there's probably more than a fifty percent chance of an interest rate hike at the meeting tomorrow. But the issue that we have, or that's what's priced into the markets. But the issue that we have is obviously Omicron and the uncertainty that that causes for the economy. I don't think the Bank of England's going to want to raise interest rates at a time when uh, there is so much uncertainty. I think February looks far more likely, and again, that's something that we can see quite clearly priced into the market, is that um, a, a rate hike by February is fully priced in. So it's just a case of whether the central bank will choose to be patient at the meeting tomorrow, and the inflation numbers today don't necessarily help its case for being patient. But I think general rationale will say, do you know what, we look at the underlying inflation data, yes, it's becoming a bit more widespread, and yes, it's accelerated faster than what policymakers were expecting. But ultimately, it's still being driven by factors which could fall out um, themselves over um, over time, uh, which removes the necessity to raise interest rates at this particular moment in time when we are seeing more restrictions being imposed, when we are expecting the economy to slow as a result, and when there's still incredible uncertainty over the new variant. And some of those factors include rising fuel prices. Um, We saw the highest ever recorded here in the UK uh, last month. But of course, the cost of oil, the price of oil has come down since then. So it's possible that might come down. And the cost of used cars has raced higher due to shortages of new vehicles because of supply chain issues. And I, I couldn't imagine that is going to change anytime soon. But certainly the cost of 
petroleum might fall and in the next month we might see a slight dip in this high of 5.1% or am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. I think I think maybe we've got to look over the more the medium term. Then we've got to look over the course of the next six to twelve months about what will happen with the inflation data. Because ultimately, that's what the Bank of England is basing its um, its forecast on, and that's what it's going to be basing its decisions on is what's going to happen with inflation over the medium term. I say six to twelve months. The Bank of England tends to look a little bit further down the line in terms of inflation coming back to target. But I think the broad consensus view still is that inflation will fall over the next six to twelve months, partly because the cost of fuel should fall. We have seen oil prices fall back from their highs uh, off around 15%, I think, if I'm not mistaken. That should start to feed its way back through to the pump because we're seeing record high prices at the pump right now. So that shouldn't be sustained. Things like energy bills as well uh, should start to settle down once again, given the kind of energy crisis that we've seen unfold over the last few months. Once we start to see supply uh, issues start to be resolved, then that should see demand for second-hand cars drop and should therefore we should see some of those um, price changes unwind. And then it's a case of well, when how that feeds through to the rest of the economy and whether we start to see changing in inflation expectations and when we start to see, if we start to see changes in wage negotiations, because ultimately that's when things start to become more ingrained. If people are expecting higher inflation and demanding higher wages, moving jobs to get higher wages or negotiating higher wages internally, then that's where inflationary pressure starts to build because ultimately someone has to pay that bill. So those higher input costs effectively from companies do then will then get passed on to uh, prices at the end. And that's where we start to see this kind of cycle of higher prices, higher inflation and higher wages. So that's the type of thing that I think the Bank of England wants to try and get on top of now. So it's it's while, while accepting that they think a large chunk of the inflationary pressures is coming from external one-off supply-related factors, it's saying, well, can we be raising interest rates in the in the near term to uh, to get domestic inflationary pressures under control, even if it is a smaller even if it is a smaller part of that, and also. Um, should we be doing more right now? Because what we don't want to do is wait six months, see that inflation is 7%, 8%. It's become more widespread. It's become more ingrained. And now we're not talking about raising interest rates by 0.25% every quarter or so. We're talking about raising by 0.5% every meeting. That's what they want to avoid. They don't want inflation to get out of control, which warrants much more firmer action, which can be far more damaging economically. And of course, we've got a similar picture in the United States as well. Yesterday, uh, we saw uh, the U.S. producer price index showing goods 10% more at the factory gate in November. That came as a, a bit of a slap in the market's face. It's a high number uh, for the Federal Reserve to ponder. And, of course, they are meeting uh, very shortly. And uh, that's going to be very interesting to see whether they accelerate the tapering program and so on. What are markets betting on at the moment the Fed is going to actually do? Yeah, the, the US is facing some similar issues to the UK, really. Obviously, there are some differences in some of the challenges they're facing. But one of them is a, um, a somewhat surprisingly tight labour market. It seems that a large number of people have fallen out of the labour market um, over the course of the pandemic, whether that's people just becoming inactive uh, because um, of changes throughout the over the course of the last 18 months or retiring early, um, which has created gaps in the market, in the employment market. And what that means is we've got a very tight labour market here and in the US 
surprising. We saw it actually evident in the UK uh, labour market data yesterday where we saw record hiring numbers. We saw inf- uh, unemployment dropping and we saw wages uh, rising uh, because there is so much competition now for these spots. And as we're seeing in the US, kind of um, very high levels of job openings. Uh, and that seems to be here in the UK as well. So that's, that's another thing. That's probably the key thing, I think, that's leading the Bank of England and the Federal Reserve to thinking that this is, infl- while a lot of the inflation is transitory, and I think obviously that word's now been retired, but while a lot of it is being driven by temporary factors, there are pockets of the economy, there are signs in certain areas that there are more permanent inflationary pressures building. And I think the tightness of the labour market is a concern. One thing that the Fed's alluded to before is that they, because participation, and I think this is going to become a key, more of a key focal point for people, people in the markets now over the coming year or so, participation is still well below pre-pandemic levels and their belief is that once people start to return to the labour market and that participation rate starts to creep high that will create more 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 competition for jobs that are available and will suppress uh, wage growth pressures which will help keep a lid on inflationary pressures but we're not seeing that trend actually start yet so that's where the that's where we start to see the questions raised of well how many people have left the labour market and why how many people have retired versus how many people are just currently uh, inactive, and this is a this is a phenomenon we're seeing really, like say, in the UK, the US, and elsewhere. And it's why the Fed, like the Bank of England, are looking to accelerate the removal of stimulus, the tapering program, and that's expected to be announced later on today. Um, it's currently envisaged to end in the middle of next year. That's going to be brought forward, it seems, to March time, despite the fact that we are seeing the spread of Omicron right now. That seems to be almost an easy win as far as the Federal Reserve is concerned because they they will do so without actually raising interest rates and that will allow them to start raising interest rates in the second quarter of next year. The interesting thing today with the Federal Reserve is not only should we get the announcement with re- with regards to the acceleration of the tapering, but also we get the new economic forecasts and we get the dot plot. So that shows where policymakers view interest rates to be one year, two year, three years down the line. And we start to get a, get a, get a vision regardless of what the various policymakers say about where the consensus view is in terms of interest rate hikes and whether they start to align with the markets. Because a lot of what the Federal Reserve has done over the last three, four months has been, especially from Jay Powell and uh, and, and some of those maybe more leaning more centrally and uh, on the dovish side, it's been pushing back against the need for rate hikes and stand, staying the line on transitory. Like I said, Jay Powell dropped that line uh, a couple of weeks ago in Congress. And I, I expect that we're going to see why in the dot plot later on today. And on top of that, we've got Congress as well, Craig, voting to raise the debt ceiling as well, which was quite significant. Yeah, can you imagine at a time like this, Congress choosing to default on its debt? <laughs> the, I mean, I think that would be one of the biggest, if not the biggest policy mistake um in history really i mean to pile that on on top of everything else the u.s defaulting on its debt would be um could, well could be catastrophic for the market so it, it's one of these eventualities that we seem to get to every few months now it looks like we won't get to now again until after the midterm so 2023 is when they're talking about because of the 2.5 trillion dollar increase in the debt limit um it looks like we're not going to get there for a long time but it's something that seems to come around every now and then we talk up the prospect of potential for default it doesn't happen an 11th hour deal is struck and markets have become more and more normal to it you can see that there wasn't really any market reaction both to the debt limit ceiling the debt ceiling limit approaching or uh, or it being avoided because it's expected that at the end of the day lawmakers will stop that from happening 
the difficulty this time was that it was very politicised because of the midterm elections. Obviously, the Democrats holding a very, very thin majority, the thinnest of majorities in the Senate, a very thin majority in the House. The midterm elections um, next year um, were all of this debate was clearly with an eye on this. The Republicans wanting to pin any uh, any increase in a debt ceiling on the irresponsible spending Democrats and the Democrats wanting the Republicans to share the responsibility of raising the debt ceiling because, uh, as they say, the impact that uh, mutual uh, decision-making has had on the country's debt, be that pandemic-related spending or tax cuts under the Trump administration, and they believe that that responsibility should be shared. And it seems that the the compromise has ultimately been found, Republicans refusing to actually vote uh, to raise the debt ceiling, so wanting to very much keep their name off of that, but at the same time allowing it to happen. one of those political procedures where you say I will allow I will do what it takes to allow you to put your name to it but I won't put my name to it myself very political but uh, the inevitable outcome has uh, has happened indeed now of course it's been a very busy week already with more to come could you just briefly sum up uh, with the exception of the Bank of England and the Fed um, what else should we be looking out for in the next couple of days well, unfortunately, I can't go through all of them because, if I'm not mistaken, there was 20 central bank interest rate decisions this week. This really was the final hurrah uh, before the festive period. The ones to keep an eye on, um, arguably, and I, again, I'm going to shortlist this, but this is by no means exhaustive, and I'm surely going to miss some. But like I say, the Federal Reserve tonight, um, or later in the afternoon if you're in the US, uh, the Bank of England tomorrow could raise interest rates if we talked about the European Central Bank also tomorrow. They um, are going to likely, uh, alongside the new economic forecast, they're likely to uh, explain what, if anything, is going to replace the PEP program in uh, March uh, when that expires. So that's the Pandemic Emergency Purchase Program, the QE program directed uh, towards um, being this an, an emergency measure during the pandemic. Uh, then we also have the CBRT, the the outlier central bank in the world who decides uh, who who is opting to cut interest rates at a time of soaring inflation. That's driven by, as we've talked about in this podcast before, uh, a president who whose views don't align with economic theory, shall we say, who believes that higher interest rates stoke inflation and cutting interest rates will reduce inflation, very much counter to uh, the common uh, belief. So he has now finally found a central bank governor who's willing to do his bidding and who has cut interest rates by 400 basis points or 4% from uh, since September, so from 19% down to 15%. And in that time, inflation has gone from below 19% to above 21% and is expected to rise further. The Turkish lira has fallen to record lows on a day-by-day basis almost and is continuing uh, to plunge. It's not far from 15 at this point against the dollar. Um, It hit 10 for the first time ever um, not too long ago, um, not too long ago at all. So the, this is um, this is uh, another interesting decision because the bank is expected to cut interest rates again by 100 basis points as, um, as the president staunchly defends their actions. They've intervened in the currency markets four times over the past couple of weeks to try and defend the lira to little uh, benefit. And it seems that lessons are not being learned. So that will be, uh, I think, probably the most interesting shall we say of, of all of them if not the most market impactful outside the uh, outside of turkey and then we've got things like the snb we've got the bank of japan on uh, early hours on friday morning as well and that's just to name a few so it really is a blockbuster week um this week so it should be a fascinating few days and i think 
once we get past Friday, if we're all still awake and we're all still uh, we're all still on our feet, and I think that's when we'll probably start to see the festivities begin because I think next week's going to be very quiet then, heading into the uh, heading into the new year. Obviously, I say that. I'm forgetting the fact that Omicron is still here and we're still learning a lot more about it. So I don't think market volatility per se is going to go away in that time. But what I mean is in terms of major economic events, I think we are going to see a much slower end to the year. Interesting stuff. Craig, thanks very much for joining us and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you. This is the Oanda Podcast.